listening to A Pastor in His Newspaper, a podcast helping you read the news with the Bible in your hand. It is great to be with you. It's been a while. Um, I went to Disney World for a week. Obviously, I um, said that in my last episode as I talked about the future of Disney. Um, the park is still great. Um, if you get an opportunity to go anytime soon, the uh, Guardian of the Galaxy ride in Epcot is fantastic. It's a lot of fun. And... Uh, a new ride coming if you want to know they're doing a tron a tron ride at magic kingdom right next to space mountain so uh, magic kingdom is very much needs some more adult rides uh so that's coming in april they're actually running the uh, ride for uh staff or uh, cast members as, as they call them uh there so um some new rides that are already at disney world and some that are coming so um i know uh the future is complicated for Disney, as my episode said last a uh, few weeks ago, and uh, so um, we'll see kind of uh, where uh, Disney goes in the coming years. So putting Disney beside us, but behind us, we are uh, entering into the month of March. This is a great month of sports. Uh, my Vols actually right now are in the SEC tournament, beating Ole Miss currently. Um, Tennessee's dealt with some injuries this year, so. It's been kind of an up and down year. We've had some highs, we've had some lows. We beat Kansas, beat Texas, beat Alabama, but uh, can't couldn't beat Kentucky even at home. Uh, lost to Missouri and Vanderbilt. Uh, lost a few games on the road, uh, even to some bad teams like Florida. So it's been a kind of a, a weird, a weird year uh, again of highs and lows. So. We'll see the the tournament, NCAA tournament should be wide open. Tennessee looks like probably a three or four seed. Um, they could have been a one seed if they didn't have their kind of mid-season um, um, valley. But um, we'll see, it's gonna be wide open. There's not really a dominant team this year. So, I mean, Tennessee beat Kansas this year. Tennessee, uh, actually, Kansas lost three games in a row this year. It's so hard to call a team dominant when they lose three games in a row. But um, so, anyways, we'll uh, we'll see. Uh, Tennessee's never made the Final Four. They've made an Elite Eight once, and that was actually when Bruce Pearl was the coach. Um, so, Tennessee has struggled to get out of the um, uh, the first weekend. Um, they lost in the second round last year. I thought that team last year was definitely going to go to the Final Four, but uh, lost to Michigan uh, last year. So, um, yeah, I don't know if, if the tournament's one of those weird things where. You know, you have years where you think a team's going to go the Final Four, they lose early, and then the next year you don't think they're going to do well and end up making a run. I mean, that Virginia team uh, was the first team uh, to be a number one seed and then lose to a 16 seed. It never happened in the history of the tournament until Virginia did it a few years ago. And the year after they did that, they won the national championship. So it is kind of basketball, college basketball has that the tendency to do that. So... We'll see. It doesn't seem like um, um, Tennessee will be that that team that would do that, but we'll see. It could be we could be surprised, and that would be fantastic to be able to just to experience that as a Tennessee fan. So, um, so yeah, some those things are especially uh, in Memphis and other parts of the country, they get super excited about March Madness, and uh, should be a, a fun uh, working in the office and just talking about. Uh, our brackets and the different teams and how they're doing. And uh, so look forward to that coming up in the uh, next week. So uh, spring break is also coming up uh, next week for a lot of schools. And so our kids are going to be out of school next week. And um, um, 
actually planning on going skiing with my dad in Salt Lake City. So looking forward to that and uh, getting away and, and skiing. So uh, one of my favorite things to do in the world is just to be out in the mountains, to ski, to uh, be in the snow. Utah is unique because the powder is, is kind of world class. It's The powder is kind of unique um, to Utah if you feel like you're skiing on sugar. Um, maybe yeah it's just like very like even like old feathers it's just very powdery and and fantastic and so i look forward to that getting to do that getting to fly out there and uh so that's coming up in a a week or so so we're going to dive into uh i had been planning on talking about this for a while and now have the opportunity to do so and uh, and in some ways it's a good um time to talk about it because we're kind of past all the um um the height of the Asbury revival. And, um, you know, uh, some people have been asking you know, thoughts on the revival and I know some pastors have commented on it and some have actually gone to visit, um, the revival that took, o- that, that took place over, you know, I think several weeks. Um, so revivalism, especially revival at Asbury university in Kentucky is, is, is a unique thing because it's happened several times. And I'm going to talk about that. I do want to talk about revivals in America, um, as just a, a subway of an, or an introduction to what happened at Asbury. And so I'm going to give a kind of a, a take on that and provide a few uh, just insights that, that and some opinions that I have. And, um, and I, I think this is kind of a, I'm, tr- I'm going to attempt to be very balanced here. And um, I'm definitely not a cynic when it comes to the revival. There are definitely those out there who are kind of uh, poo-pooing what what what's going on there as as well there's nothing good that comes out of Asbury or nothing good that comes out of revivals um, I think that's the wrong take and I think that is actually a minority take um, I think more people are seeing uh, are very optimistic um, and the question is what will this bring what's the future um, the first great awakening um, that happened in America before the Revolutionary War led to um, you know, that revival that had led to the great awakening. It led to uh, a, a renewal across uh, really the British empire. And there's been some other revivals that have happened that have started movements. Um, like the one that started in, in uh, Azu, Azu street in Los Angeles, which started the Pentecostal movement. Um, and, um, and some others that have happened that have started uh, other type of movements. Um, so each revival is unique on where it started and what ended up being the aftermath of it. Um, and so we want, I want to just kind of look at those different things um, going forward. Okay. So um, let me do. Let's let's look at revivals. Um, what is the what is revival? What is re, what is a revival? Number one, revival is not a word mentioned in the Bible at all. It's kind of like the word Trinity. You know, Trinity is not a word in the Bible. The principle of the Trinity is definitely in Scripture: the the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the 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 Godhead, uh, three in one. Um, but the word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture. The word revival is not mentioned in Scripture. Now, uh, I want to provide a, uh, a definition that I think was be, will be helpful in, in understanding uh, what a revival is. The New Dictionary of Theology um, defines it revival as God's quickening visitation of his people, touching their hearts, and deepening his work of grace in their lives. 
It is essentially a corporate occurrence, an enlivening of individuals, not in isolation, but together. Um, I think that's a, a, you know, there's definitely points in Scripture where you see this. Uh, you think about the, the book of Ezra when um, the prophet Ezra, or the, the priest Ezra stood up, read from God's word, and the kind of the outcry and the repentance that happened and the desire for God's word. Um, you, um, you see other occasions, um, you know, Nehemiah and other um, mentionings of scriptures where people have turned their hearts back to the Lord, and there is a desire and a thirst for God and for his word and a, a thirst for obedience to God. And so repentance, um, making a, a, a commitment to the Lord, um, is a part of uh, the right. It's always rooted in God's word and God's law, which leads them to uh, the people to respond the way that they do. And so this is a deepening work of grace where God pours out um, his mercy. He pours out his grace upon a people. The Holy Spirit leads people to conviction. Um, we don't see this as much in the New Testament. It's prayed for. Um, we see like in Ephesians uh, chapter 3, we see in, um, in Philippians and, and Colossians and some other areas where Paul prays for the church or he asks for uh, prayer um, and that it would lead to uh, the touching of, of hearts and the deepening of God's grace, uh, work of grace on people's lives. So we see this kind of pattern throughout Scripture, this thirst for, this hunger for revival is the word we use. And I think when we look at, at just revivals across uh, America, um, really we can go back to um, an interesting, a few different places that we look at, we see revivals happening, especially in America. It's interesting enough is that they, a lot of them start, most of them start at universities. Um, and so this, the Asbury revival starting at a university is not uh, uncommon. Um, it's very common for uh, revivals to uh, to take place um, at universities. Um, and so I actually wrote about this uh, fairly extensively in um, um, my dissertation on collegiate church planning and looking at the history of college ministry, looking at how God has moved on college campuses. We, uh, we see, and actually in 1787, uh, and at Hampton Sydney College, there was a revival that started there amongst four students uh, who were converted to Christianity. They started a movement to spread to other schools. Um, we see uh, Yale College uh, is one of the places that this, this led to. In 1796, we see students embracing Christianity, um, responding to uh, the preaching of God's Word, and um, there was an extended amount of preaching that happened in the chapel uh, at Yale um, for six months. Um, it started to, to really blossom in 1802. Um, and we saw, you know, actually the movement led to other schools in the Ivy League, Princeton, uh, Amherst, and others, where there was this awakening that, is, that happened. It led to, uh, to Williams College having a similar revival happening um, amongst their students. And actually, the uh, the Haystack Revival, you talk about Luther Rice and Samuel Mills, 
they were at Williams College uh, when this revival was happening, and it led them to actually be the first um, missionaries to come at, to to leave uh, America to to go to the to the to the nations with the gospel. Um, and so you see uh, other revivals that have happened, um, even at, even back at Yale in the mid uh, 1900s before the Civil War, uh, 1850, 1857, 1858. You see a revival at um, Oberlin College in Ohio and Yale College in 1858. Uh, at Oberlin, uh, you saw uh, a student body of 842 uh, coming together for worship, for prayer, uh, commitment to the Lord um, happening among students. They actually became members of of the local uh, church there, Oberlin Church. Uh, Yale, there was 63, uh, well, half of the uh, students um, of 447 uh, that were a part of this revival in Yale in 1858, um, uh, became a part of Yale College Church. Um, and so this is, again, there, there's examples um, across American history of these revivals starting on college campuses. So this what's going on at Asbury is not unique, and it's actually not even unique to Asbury. Um, Asbury has had several revivals in their history. Uh, 1905, there was a revival, and, and, and Asbury is in Wilmore, uh, Kentucky, which is right out south of Lexington. This is a Methodist Wesleyan um, university seminary. Um, they had another, um, it seems like it's interesting, they, they happen around the same time. So we have February 1905, uh, February 1908, February 1921, um, which this, that revival in 21 lasted three days. The one in 1908 lasted two weeks. In 1950, um, it went on for this kind of confession and testimonies amongst students in February 1950. went on for 118 hours. Um, and estimated that 50,000 people came and visited uh, during that revival. Um, March 1958, um, there was a students' fasting prayer meeting. Um, it lasted 63 hours. Uh, February 1970, um, there was a, a revival where 2,000 people uh, were a part of this, and um, they canceled classes for over 114, 144 hours of unbroken revival. Uh, again, this was in February, and this was at Hughes Auditorium, which is where the current, where the revival that just happened occurred. Uh, there was another revival in March 1992, and this was a part of the Holiness Conference, 127 consecutive hours of prayer and praise. And then 2006, uh, four days of continual worship, prayer, and praise. And so, again, the, these revivals at Asbury, they happen around February, March. Um, they've had it they've happened multiple times in their history. And so we see a new one here in February of 2023. Um, and, again, it went on for many weeks, I guess, into early February, where eventually the university had to stop it because it was just too disruption, too disruptive when it comes to class schedule. And the actual city is not a very big city, it's a little town. And it was there's just so many people coming into the town that uh, they were not able to, um, they just weren't able to sustain it any longer. And so they ended up uh, stopping it. But you had this extended time. So there's this what does this mean? What is the um, what can we what can we gain from um, what happened at Asbury? Um, again, um, as I've stated before, you know I read that definition. There, 
they're in. There's different consensus of what revival is. Uh, obviously, I think the one I mentioned is a helpful one. We see examples in Scripture of this pattern on revival. Second uh, Samuel chapter six, I mentioned Ezra chapter nine, verse ten. Um, you see a kind of following a period of spiritual decline. Um, and they acknowledge their failure before God, and they they adopt and 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 commit to following His word, um, and so and, and that's pretty much what happened here at Asbury, and um, we see this this great um, expression of praise to the Lord and worship to Him and commitment to the Lord and uh, recommitment to the Lord. We see um, repentance being happening. We see groups praying together, and it's just a, a beautiful thing, very multi-denominational, coming together to um, and and just the spirit's um, impact on different people, and, uh, and and people just kind of flooding this small this small little college and the small town, and and coming to experience what's going on. And, you know, it happened in an interesting time. You know, this new movie that's come out by uh, about the um, the Jesus movement, the Jesus people, the 1960s and 70s, Jesus Revolution, um, which really sparked contemporary Christian music. And, um, and, and so that had a very significant Jesus freaks is kind of comes out of that that time of, of church history. And, um, and obviously the, the Asbury revival in 1970 happened. Uh, during the time of of the Jesus movement, and so um, you know, is this a will this lead to a new kind of Jesus movement? Jesus people, kind of the hippie, uh, kind of the margins of society. Is this is this um, going to ha- create a new movement, a new wave of that? We just really don't know. Is this going to lead to incorporating youth culture having an impact on the evangelical churches of today? We don't know. Uh, we don't really know. What um, what's going to what's going to happen out of this out of this revival? And, and again, I didn't go. I didn't get an opportunity to to visit um, um, Asbury during this time. And um, you know, I've, I have followed some some people that I do respect, um, some professors of the of the seminary that I went to, who have commented on what they experienced when they went and uh, had positive things to say about it. And one of the things that I kept I kept reading about is this um, how um, there wasn't really one particular person who was the the leader of this. Um, you know, uh, I read that there is a, a kind of a um, a student a student director um, who had preached the chapel message um, on that day in February, February the eighth on Wednesday and. I'd gone home to his wife and said that was a dud. You know, nobody came down. Nobody was impacted by the message. But there were some students that hung hung around later and and were together and praying and confessing sin. And it led to some worship that happened. And then students just kind of came and and this continued for a long period of time. And uh, they just kept praying. It kept singing and, and kept reading scripture and giving testimonies and sitting in silence and, and, and listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and it led to others wanting to join in. And um, 
I was reading a, this this article, Ordinary and Extraordinary, A Day at the Asbury Awakening by Doug Hinken, um, who is an historian of American religious history and has written a lot about and read a lot about revivals and revivalism. So he's probably a good person. Who's who, What is his take on, on what happened? He actually did go visit, um, and he, he comments um, on the kind of the ordinary and extraordinary... Um, just kind of moments that he kind of took, you know, he, there's people volunteering and helping people find bathrooms. Um, while at the same time there's confession of sin, there's people praying together who didn't know each other, praying for their needs, um, praying that God would move in their lives. You have people who are, um, leading on stage. No one knows who they are. Um, and they're leading in worship. They're they're leading songs for people to sing. A lot at the same time, people are going to get snacks and and food and and doing other things. And so you saw kind of the mix of the ordinary and the extraordinary happening um, around at the same time. Um, just to provide a little bit of details that you may not know, but uh, Hughes Auditorium, which is the auditorium where the revival was happening, uh, holds about close to fifteen hundred people. And um, on Wednesday, February the 15th, where when um, the writer here, Doug Hankin, visited, uh, he said that all the seats were filled. There was uh, parking um, that was labeled, again, going that ordinary, extraordinary. Um, and, and, and I think one of the things that he identified that was interesting, I've read this in several articles, is just how well organized it was, even though it was spontaneous. Um, that there was a certain order uh, and a certain gentleness and humility and kindness that was a major theme um, of, of what was going on in Asbury, which is helpful as you think about how to react to this. You know, I think, again, I'm going to mention a little bit later, obviously there's cynics out there that there's nothing good that happens in these type of things. But again, the spirit, you know, I, I watched a documentary on, because it's a completely opposite cultural event, but um, I, read, I watched a few documentaries on the 1999 Woodstock, which if you don't know anything that happened at that Woodstock, it was a disaster. They had like, um, you know, obviously it was, it was um, you had the 1969 Woodstock, that had happened during the Vietnam War, and it was, you know, it was known as this festival of love, right? And so 30 years later, um, obviously the music genre has changed. Um, it's no longer folk and, you know, anti-war rock and roll. It's now heavy metal um, and very angry music. And, and really the audience as well kind of, that's, that's kind of their attitude and spirit as well. And so they're trying to carry on this legacy of, of the Woodstock and the Festival of Love, and really it was a festival of violence, and they kind of document this. And the spirit of that Woodstock was different than the original Woodstock. And so, uh, but, you know, in comparison to what was going on in Asbury, the spirit was gentle and kind, and the spirit of kind of the fruit of the spirit, right? Um, and so that's helpful and really being optimistic and really honoring God on what what happened there. So that's really helpful uh, details and just how people interacted with each other. And, you know, there were people there 
there were a few people that came to really kind of use it as a platform to um, to press upon, you know, a kind of a, a legalistic um, Christianity. Um, you know, God doesn't love everyone. God doesn't love sinners, which the def the, the the basic definition or the essential definition of Christianity is that God loves sinners and sent His Son Jesus into the world to die for sinners, and that those who have faith in Christ are forgiven of their sins. Like so, to say it, make a statement that God doesn't love sinners, kind of shows our that we do need a a renewal. We do need a revival, uh, a new awakening to understanding who what the gospel is. And the gospel is not working hard, living perfectly. Um, it's not law abiding. Um, it's grace giving and the grace that we are given by God. We are enabled through the Holy Spirit to then follow God in adoration and love and thankfulness for what God did for us in Christ. And our hearts are changed. We have new hearts, our hearts of stone have become hearts of flesh. And so we're enabled by the spirit to then be obedient to God's word, but it doesn't start with a law. It starts with grace in Christ. So, um, so you see people who are who are coming, and um, and there are many people, and it started with um, just a few people, and then it became this massive thing where there's thousands of people in line waiting to be a part of what was going on, and so it became this massive cultural event. You had people from all over. I mean, all over the country, even probably people from all over the world that are coming. Uh, to this little town in Kentucky to be a part of what's going on at Asbury. And people are taking videos on TikTok. They're posting these on social media, and it just leads to more people wanting to join in. Um, and um, and again, you know, you have people, um, you know, praying for one another, worshiping together who don't even know each other. Uh, you have different denominations around who are coming to be a part of this. You have Southern Baptists. You have... Presbyterian, you have Nazarene, you have Wesleyan, they're coming and experiencing this together. It's a beautiful thing. Um, but again, the mixture of ordinary and extraordinary, right? I mean, there, what's also going on, because it became so big, they needed to provide uh, water for people. You had people, you had churches nearby donating food. Um, you had people volunteering um, all day to help um, help people, direct people, um, help people park so that people can take could be a part of this. And again, this was, you know, eventually it became a little more organized, but it was started with such spontaneity that, um, um, that it was able to be in some ways very organized and effective um, and didn't lead to chaos in any way. So it helps to kind of identify um the beauty of what, and that God was in this, you know, this God was definitely in, in this revival. Um, and so uh, other things that the writer mentions is how, just how powerful it was um, in that um, it was engaging, but it wasn't sensational. Like it was, there was a central, there was a certain controlledness to this where it was, um, it was effective. And I think it was sound in, in that people were, uh, were impacted in a major way um, by this. You had people who were coming up and, you know, reading scripture. Again, people, there was no celebrity that was the, the leader of this. This wasn't, um, you know, Francis Jan or uh, John Piper or some kind of popular pastor um, that was leading this. It wasn't a Christian band that was sparking this. This was purely students who desired to um, repent 
and worship. And it led to what happened where thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands were flocking to this this little town and taking part in uh, in this. Um, and, you know, the writer here talks about when he, he was praying for this couple that was from Toronto. He never knew. He, he read Isaiah 55, 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And he had people just praying and, and taking part in this. And, um, and it's, yeah, the lack of celebrity or egos in the, in the center was, was you know, very significant, very um, uh, um, apparent uh, for those who took part. Um, there was no screens with words or images when it comes to worship. It was very simple, uh, which I, th- I found very intriguing, the simplicity. Again, st- we, we think that um, with students or youth culture, it has to be extravagant. It has to be... Um, you know, it has to be rock and roll and loud and sensational, and it has to be, you know, full of um, um, of illusions and 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 lights and and different um, special effects because that's the that the movies are like that um, fit youth culture. But that's not what this was about. It was about God. It was about His Word. It was about worship. It was about prayers. About repentance of sin. It was. And it wasn't about it wasn't about technology. It wasn't about production. It was so low key, um, and, I, and I think that's significant to know that when we if we desire to reach um, you know the younger generation, uh, overproduction is not how they're is not going to be acceptance accepted by them. It, it has to be authentic. Uh, it has to be genuine, and that's what was happening at Asbury. It was genuine. It was it was real, and uh, and, and so. Um, he, he mentions just again the nature and the compassion of the of the staff at Asbury and how people took care of people and how there were people having picnics outside because eventually when they had so many people coming they eventually decided to um, live stream so it took them I think several days like maybe 12 days before they started to live stream it so you could tell like this wasn't about um, production it wasn't about trying to um, get attention uh, the attention came much later, um, and so they just provided uh, ways for other people to take part. So they eventually um, live streamed the the evening, um, and so people would come and they would even watch it outside. And you had people picnicking, you had children running and playing on trees while this was going on. Again, the ordinary, the extraordinary that was happening. Um, and um, the the writer here, the article, uh, Doug, he says it's, it was practical, spiritual, ordinary, and extraordinary all at once. And I think it's really I think those are great four words to use, and um, I love the word practical. It was practical. It was ordinary. It was simple. It was, but it was spiritual, and it was extraordinary, and it was beautiful. And um, you know, I think there's a, again, when we talked about the definition of revival, touching their hearts and deepening His work of grace. I, you know, we desperately want to be um, impacted by God's grace. We want God to pour Himself His mercy upon us, His love upon us, His spirit upon us, and. Um, and revivals happen, and you know when we think about revivals, uh, the context matters. You know, if you had a revival at a Baptist school, it's probably going to look different than a revival um, at a Wesleyan school, right? And so, what happened at Asbury will probably be different if it happened at Union in Jackson, Tennessee. But, um, but that the impact is still the same. The Spirit leads 
people to recognize their the sins in their lives. They they pour them they pour out their hearts to God. They pray for mercy. They pray for grace. They pray for a transformation uh, through the Spirit, and it leads them to worship God. They're they're thankful. They 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 acknowledge God's grace and His goodness and His beauty, and they pour out worship and they pour out praise for Him and. And it becomes something when when you have multiple people or a large group of people experiencing this together, uh, it's very powerful and can be a huge cultural movement that goes beyond even the walls or even outside the town. It can become something um, that really shapes people from afar, especially with social media. You can now watch or be a part of something even if you're not actually there. So what does this mean for the future? Really, we just don't know. We don't know what this will this went back. You know, movements in the past, we mentioned the Jesus movement. Um, we uh, mentioned the revival in Los Angeles at um, uh, Azusa Street Revival in the, in the early kind of 20th century, 1906 to 1915, which started the Pentecostal movement. The, and the Assemblies of God comes out of that, that movement uh, that happened during that period. And, um, and so there's, there, you don't really know what's going to come out of a revival. Um, the hope is that this does lead to um, you know, a youth culture that embraces Christianity and you know, coming out of a, in some way we call it a post-Christian or post-gospel uh, age where uh, youth don't have parents that grew up in the church and so they don't know the gospel. And so um, would this lead to, to them hearing the gospel and responding to the gospel and becoming followers of Christ and being a part of the church and, and, and in some ways shaping the church, church's culture, which is important. You know, um, the, the church is, is we have the same gospel, the same scripture, the same Christ, the same Lord, but the church does change as the people who God brings to, to saving faith and brings, in, brings them in. It does adopt and change uh, to the culture that is, is becoming the more dominant culture in the church. Um, so is the church going through a transition? Is it actually going to transition into a more simpler worship, a simpler uh, church, less programs, less mega church, uh, and more simple church. Um, I think that would be a, and practical, I think, and spiritual and genuine and authentic. I think that it would be a, a, an amazing and, and, um, and hopeful uh, future. Um, but I think, you know, one thing to, as we think through this, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards talks about um, revivals and uh, religious affection because I mean he was he was a part of the first great awakening and um, he writes this about uh, revivals and, and kind of our view of them are they good or are they bad um, what should be our take he says let all let us all be hence warned by no means to oppose or do anything in the least to clog or hinder that work that has lately been carried on in the land but on the contrary do our utmost to promote it now that Christ has come down from heaven into this land in a remarkable and wonderful work of the Spirit. It becomes all his professed disciples to acknowledge him and give him honor. I think as we think about this, I think the one thing we can take away from this is, you know, do we thirst for God? Is there a thrill for God? I think that's one thing you have to kind of acknowledge with the, with the Asbury revival that happened um, in, in February is that there was a thirst for God, um, and people desired for God. And, and, you know, I think we want 
we want some we want to feel God's presence and we and I think you get that in these moments of of collective worship um, and collective pray prayer um, is that people are united in that thirst for God and that's a very powerful and influential thing um, and I think we get bored with the the mundane of just kind of weekly church weekly programs and um, as someone who I am a huge advocate of the of just it's a, the importance of being a part of the ordinary church you know going on Sundays and being a part of the worship and, and serving and giving and being a part of Wednesday night dinner, whatever your, your church does, that's, that's significant and important. That's the, the people, the church, they gather. There's a lot of uh, beauty to that. But I think there's moments in time where there's a collective desire for thirst for God. And, and we want to know him deeply. Um, and we express that in a, in, in a very vocal and in real way. Um, and so when we... We think about okay, what what are some negatives that come out of this? So it's, with anything like this, it's going to be messy. There's there's going to be some, as as Brunwriter says, a theologically sloppiness to this, um, where you're just going to have people who have views that are kind of all over the place. Um, and do we, with that being true, and not and not saying that's right, but to say that's just a part of what happens in these things that there's there's we are in a, we live in a fallen world we are fallen people and therefore we're not perfect and and there're going to be some good and bad things that come from this revival so let's acknowledge the good things and and understand that there are some things that are coming out of this that maybe aren't perfect but it's okay um it's messy and um God is and people are coming to this from from different points on the discipleship map, right? There are some that are coming to this who are professors of of very sound seminaries who have who are you know being who also have their own thrill for God and thirst for 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 God and and are coming at this and and bring and, and pulling some things out and encouraged in some ways. And there are others on this journey who are, you know, baby Christians or they've been Christians for a little bit, but they don't know much about theology and they're just coming in and they're, they are still being impacted in a, in a, in a great way by this. So I think that's important to acknowledge. Number two, that there are probably people who are wanting to profit from this and, um, and, um, and use it for their own advantage. Um, I think the, the revival uh, did a good job of guarding themselves from that, but there are going to be people who are, are definitely going to do that. Um, but there are also some some cynics that are going to um, say that all this is hogwash and nothing good comes out of this. And I just want to say to those people, um, you know, God is is doing something. He is working. And there's some evidence to, to, make, to prove that. And um, and let's not um, be quick to judge. Let's not be quick to be cynical or critical, but uh, acknowledge that that God is working, um, that God is working in people's lives, um, that God is at work in the world, and uh, and to celebrate that and to pray that God would give all of us thirst for him and that we would all love um, to, to know him more and to seek him more and pray that that would happen amongst people in our community, in our churches, in our, in our neighborhoods. Um, and that uh, this would carry on into other other people's lives as well. So 
Um, and if, it's a fascinating thing. There'll be more probably to come out of this in the coming months and years, just to we look back at this and its impact and um, who was impacted. And we may find out there were certain people that were impacted by this revival that God uses in a major, powerful way. And we can look back at this revival as a center of that. So a um, few things just to think about as you as you think about um, the Asbury Revival and think about just the news in the world today. So uh, continue to read the, the Bible, um, continue to read the news with the Bible in your hand, um, and hopefully be back uh, next week with a new uh, new edition of a Pastor's Newspaper. Have a wonderful uh, week. Enjoy the SEC tournament and the AAC tournament games, and we'll see you back next week.